I ask you where we should be, where you would like to be at the end of this next year, I hope that song is our answer, right? Near the cross, where our eyes are on Jesus, where our hope is in his work for us. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the privilege of being gathered together by your mercy and by your grace. Here again, in your word, together as one people, here to hear your voice. Father, we pray that it would penetrate our hearts. And that in all that we hear and read in it this morning, that we would indeed be found near the cross. In our thoughts and in our desires, may Christ be magnified now as your word is read and proclaimed. We ask this all in his precious name. Amen. I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Colossians. I want us to look primarily at verses 6 through 15 of chapter 2, but I want to begin before that, and I know this is in between our series that we went through and Matthew's gospel in the first and second chapter there, preparing for Christmas, and it's before getting back into our study of John's gospel next week as we begin chapter 8. But sometimes there's these opportunities that the Lord gives us to just simply go back and be reminded of some things. As I look at Colossians and as I've thought about Colossians, uh, how I wish that we had um, days to just spend together and to look into this this portion of Scripture. It's so rich and it's so deep. Uh, But there's so much here that I think we can take from it here on a day like today and in this in-between season that I believe would be strengthening and encouraging to you. And so I I want us to, as we read this and as we go back and proclaim some of the truths that are contained in here, again, it cannot be exhaustive in this setting, but to hear it as the Apostle Paul wrote it. And as I read it, it almost seems that the Apostle Paul is called the church at Colossae together for a family meeting. And and he's simply setting forth before them rich truths that are to be a help to them and to be an encouragement to them and a challenge to them. So I, I hope that as we read it and hear it this morning that we hear it in that vein and in that tone. That we as God's family are called together this morning as we begin a new year to hear from our Father, to hear His Word, and to be strengthened and encouraged by it. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 1, and we'll go down through chapter 2, verse 15. I understand this is a longer passage. Don't panic. We're not going like we normally do at our normal pace, okay? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God... And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it in, from Epaphras, our fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, Engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you will continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints." To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory of of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. It's New Year's Eve. And there are any number of ways that we could go with our thoughts on a day like today. We could take stock of all the broken resolutions we made last year on this day. I saw someone this week who said, last year I resolved to lose 25 pounds, only 30 more to go. I'm not saying I identify that. I'm, with that, I'm just saying. We could sit here and think about all the things that we had purposed to do and resolved to do and yet didn't do. That's every one of us. I won't ask you how many of you that that is true of because it's true of all of us. We could state the many things that in 2024 that we should do or even must do in the year to come. 
I, I could sit here and say to you, you must do this and you must do that and, and you need to be more of this or more of that. And the reality is that both of those perspectives are entirely unhelpful, I think. What's done is done. You, you can't go back and fix the past. Now, that doesn't mean that today is not a good day to reflect on the past and to confess sin and to, to repent of sin. If that is true, then let's do it. But we can't dwell on the past. We can't go back and change the past. What's future may lack strength and ability to do what we desire to do, to, to, to rest so heavy and to put all of our hopes on a new start in a new year and next year I'll do better and next year I want to do this or that. While that may be in some regards necessary, it's not altogether helpful to dwell upon those because today we don't have all the necessary grace or the resources yet for what we'll face in the year to come. Let me just ask you, is there anything more discouraging than having a need and not having the resources to meet the need? That's discouraging, isn't it? I need to do this. I must do this. And yet I find, as Paul says so many times, the the, 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 the power to do it doesn't I don't find it at the moment and it can be wholly discouraging and so to look too much into the future and make resolutions for which we don't have the resources perhaps not helpful either there's so many things about new year's reflections past and future that seem to fall into one of these two categories, and we find them, let's be honest, discouraging. Browbeating over the past, over promising or longing for things we don't at present have the resources for, the grace for in the future. So what is a Christian to do on a day like today? I think one of the things that we must do is step back and look to Christ. And look to Jesus. And take the focus off of ourselves and put it back upon Christ. Which is exactly where the Apostle Paul wants this precious church, his brothers and sisters at Colossae and Laodicea to look. I know Paul didn't write this for New Year's. I'm aware of that. But I think it's helpful. And so I want to invite you to look at this with me and to consider a number of things as we move through this passage. And again, it'll be somewhat like Spurgeon. If you're familiar with the, the preaching of Charles Spurgeon, he would simply open his Bible and make a running, essentially, exposition of the text throughout these long passages of Scripture and then go back and pull out a few salient points that sewed it all together. 
I'm not here this morning to tell you what to do in 2024. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul in his writings does not say to these people, now go and do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And when you've done it all and checked all the boxes, then you will be mature in Christ. In some ways, the Christian life would be easier if we could do that right. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll check the box and be done with it. That's not how it works. We all know that. Listen, the Spirit of God will make it plain to you from His Word what you are to do. He will preach a better sermon and make make better application in the next 365 days than I ever could this morning. He will always be with you. He will always be leading you into all truth. It's what He came to do. He cannot fail. He will not lie. So that is not my goal either this morning. My my goal this morning from this text is not to motivate you with manipulative tactics that get you to go out from this place and go buy something, you know, a journal or something and say, I'm going to, boy, I'm going to do it every day in 2024. I'm so excited. That's not the purpose. The purpose of the text from Paul to the Colossians, the purpose of the text for us this morning as it has been preserved is to remind us what has been done for us and to remind us who we are in Christ as Christians. It's a passage that is filled with passive verbs. You are wholly inactive. Christ is central. Christ is the one who is taking the lead. And and, and Christ is the one who is doing the work and accomplishing the work on our behalf. We'll see that as we go through it. It's also a passage that is filled with positional prepositions. You're thinking, I didn't come to church on New Year's Eve to get a grammar lesson. But the Spirit of God inspired this letter from Paul with exactly that. To remind you not only what has been done for you, but where you are as a Christian. You are in Christ. And so as you look at Colossians chapter 1 and 2, look, just you don't have to do it right now, but when you go home, maybe this is, maybe this is a great uh, first day Tomorrow on New Year's Day, study for you. Highlight in your Bible all the times Paul says, in him or in Christ. In these few short verses, it makes up a large percentage of the wording to understand who we are and where we are. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 1 and set the foundation for chapter 2. And really, I want to get to chapter 2, verse 10. But we can't get there without a foundation. We won't put on the weather vane that sits on top of the chimney of the house unless we first build the house. So let's build it. And there is a foundation in chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. And the foundation is summarized in this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Giving thanks to the Father 
who has qualified us. If you are here this morning and your faith is in Christ Jesus and in Christ alone, your hope is in the salvation that Christ provides, know this. It is because the Father has qualified us. He has done all that is necessary to bring us to that point. And we now stand approved by the Father, qualified by Him through the work of His Son. As you go into a new year, you need to live on that foundation. That it is the Father who has done the work, not you. Now, I know that every one of us here this morning would deny that we believe salvation is by works. At least I hope you would deny that. If you wouldn't, then we need to talk. Salvation is by the work of God alone. And yet, though we deny that we would hold a salvation by works, there are so many times when our identity and our assurance and our hope and our joy tells a different story. We, we fail to remember that we cannot be stripped away from our salvation. We cannot be taken away from the Father because we don't do anything to keep us qualified. And we lose assurance. And we lose hope. And therefore we lose focus. When we forget this one reality that the foundation of our faith rests in this, God has done the work. And if God has done the work, the work cannot fail. Be taken away from us. The Father qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, how did He do that? By His Son. The Father qualifies us for, for the next 10 verses or so, beginning in verse 13 we find how the Father did this. Notice what he says. Let's just pick out the the high points here as we work our way through this, trying to, to, to ascertain how is it that we are to live as believers. What do I, as, as a pastor and as, as an under-shepherd to Christ, want you, His people, to remember this year? I want you to remember that your salvation is secured by the work of the Father, who has rescued you, verse 13. He has rescued you out of one world. And then look at the second verb. He has transferred you out of one and into the other, that the kingdom of his beloved Son. And in that new kingdom, you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. This is who you are. This is where you are by the Father's work. And then he goes on and he begins to describe Christ to us. The means of our rescue. The means of our transfer. He, meaning Jesus, the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. 
creator of all things, both visible and invisible, ruler over thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. The one, verse 17, who holds all things together. The one who rules this church and every church. He is the head of the body. He is the very beginning of all things. There was nothing before him. There will be nothing after him. He is the firstborn. The first one raised from the dead by the father. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is the father's good pleasure. He is the one who reconciles, verse 20, all things to himself. He is the one who has secured peace between you and God. Which formerly there was only war between you and God. He has made peace now through the blood of his cross. This is the foundation that we live upon, brothers and sisters. This is our assurance We don't stand on anything that we do. In fact, there is nothing you can find in Colossians 1 or 2 that is of you. Not one thing. It is all either passively stated, God has done this, or God is doing this. Our hope is not in ourselves as we move into a new year. It is on the ancient foundation, which is none other than the ancient of days himself. God has qualified us. Luther was fond of reminding the people in his church in summary fashion and in many ways he said essentially this when the devil comes and he reminds you of who you are you remind him of what the father has done when you are tempted to despair To look upon the guilt within. Do what we sing. Upward I look and see him there. Who made an end to all my sin. Because the father has qualified you. If you have trusted his son and his son's work on your behalf. The father has qualified you. He has done it all for you. Now I want you to look at the audience. That's the foundation. But look at the audience in the next three verses. Verses 21 to 23. And although you were, do you see that? Words matter. You know why words matter? Because words convey ideas. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet, now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Paul makes a huge distinction between what you were and what you are. There is no more were. That is in the past. 
you were formerly, but now you are something altogether different. Whatever is thrown at you this year, in the year to come, don't move. Don't move off of that truth. That that is what you were, but what you are is something entirely different now. And what you are is reconciled to God. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God has pronounced his blessing upon you, nothing takes the blessing away. If God has reconciled you to life, then there is no such thing as death for you anymore. The old poem, it is not death to die. Not for the believer, there's no such thing as death. That's why Paul mocks it in 1 Corinthians 15. All that that we are, we will be. We cannot be taken away from the... Paul says, don't move. Look at verse 23. These things are true if, conditional, you continue in the faith as long as you believe. As long as Christ is professed by you to be the Son of God, to be your substitute. As long as you believe, you cannot be taken away. Remain Firmly established and steadfast. Not moved away from the gospel. Not moved away from the hope that you have heard. Don't move. As long as you stay here, Christian, in 2024, there's always hope. Let me say it another way. If we look back, at 2023 and we begin to catalog the moments in which we had despair or depression or anxiety or fear it was not because there was no hope there it's because we moved away from the hope that's why Paul says remain established and steadfast Do not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Listen, if we despair in 2024, it's not because there's not hope. It's because we're looking in the wrong places for hope. Would you remember that? There are going to be days when you feel down. There are going to be times in the year to come when you struggle. But know this, the hope of the gospel has not changed. And the longer you stay unfocused on the gospel, the longer you will remain without hope. The longer you will remain anxious, fearful. Look at the foundation. Don't move off of the foundation. God himself knows your name. And He has reconciled you. He has qualified you. He has adopted you. 
He has justified you. He is keeping you and will keep you. Don't move away from the hope of the gospel. By rightly so, crying out to the Lord in despair. They are in difficult times and those times come to all of us. But they always end with them rejoicing in the Lord. And and again, how does that happen? Because we start looking at the right things instead of the wrong things. It doesn't mean there's not difficulty, there is. But we have a hope, we have a qualification, we have a foundation that is greater than our trials. Paul says, don't move away. Don't move away from the hope. There, we'll get to it in just a moment, but there are going to be cheap substitutes that come along and try to work their way in to replace the gospel. To replace what the Father has done for you. Don't go there. Stay here. Paul then begins to express his desire in verses 24 down through chapter 2 and verse 5. And I think we can sum it up very succinctly in verse 28 of chapter 1. We proclaim him. Paul has given his life. He has suffered. He is in prison. He, he goes through shipwreck. All the things that Paul endures. He says, listen, I do that so that I can proclaim him. Admonishing every man and teaching every man that I can with all the wisdom of God so that we may present every man complete. Every man mature. Every man fully initiated. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who believes complete. Meeting the highest standard, perfect in Christ. I'll go through anything as long as I can proclaim those truths. This is what I want. This is my desire, Paul says. I want all of you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to, to rest on the foundation of all that the Father has done for you. He qualified you. It comes to my attention pretty regularly, and I think it would yours too if you stopped and thought about it. But how much of ungodly thinking is present in the church today? And by ungodly thinking, what I mean is this, moving away from what's here. And people endured hardship or they endured trials and they said, well, God must be angry with me or I must have not done something right or this or that or the other. Brothers and sisters, that's karma. That is worldly ideology. That is garbage. Well, if I'd done this, God would bless me. That's a lie. That's the prosperity gospel. And by the way, while we're talking about it, just because there's more money in your bank account or just because you have more things, or just because does not mean God has blessed you. That may be God's greatest curse on you. 
Blessings are not what is tangible. It is what is eternal. And what is eternal is Christ being formed in us. Being made complete in Him. And that's Paul's desire. That's all that Paul wishes for and all that Paul wants. I, I, I live to, 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 to help you understand who you are in Christ. Then we get to the reality in chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And this is Paul's now instruction. Here's what I want you to do. Not only are you to stand, not only are you to stay where the gospel has placed you, that the Father has qualified you and he's put you in this place. But you are to walk in Christ, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And we come to verse 8. See to it then that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Captivity is theft. That there are ideologies that will sweep in and seek to take us away from the reality of who we are and what we have in Christ. Anything that takes your focus away from Christ, anything that, that tries to lead you to any other focus is captivity, it is theft, it is something being taken away from you. Don't buy it, Paul says. Guard yourself. Stay vigilant. Don't let your identity, don't let your hope, don't let your comfort, don't let your assurance come from anywhere else. Now why do you suppose Paul says it so strongly here in verse 8? Because he knows it's going to come. He's not hypothesizing about this. He's saying it's coming. There are going to be any number of ways that you encounter in 2024 that are going to try to steal you away from the foundation of Christ. A focus on the Father's qualification. Again, Paul doesn't take the time to name what those are. Because that would be impossible. That would be impossible to state all the ways that Satan and the world and even our own flesh will try to draw us away from the foundation of Christ to something else. So how will you know? How, how will you know that it is worldly philosophies and empty deception? You'll know it. Because it's anything that Christ is not the center of. May I say it this way to you? It may even come in the guise of spiritual things. It may come in the name of godliness. 
But it begins to focus on you rather than Christ. It begins to focus on systems rather than Christ. It begins to tell you that if you do X plus Y, you're guaranteed Z. But there's no Christ. Paul says, stay away from anything that draws you away from Christ. You realize it's entirely possible to have church in a way that is drawn away by philosophy and empty deceit if Christ is not central. You may feel spiritual, you may look spiritual on the outside, but if Christ is not present on the inside, you're no longer standing on the foundation and you are being led away and you are being set up for catastrophic failure. Do not move from Christ. Lash yourself to him. Glue yourself to him. He is your hope. He is your life. Your completion, your being made mature, is not in anything itself that is incomplete. How could something that is incomplete, something that will die, something that will change, how can any of those things mature you? They can't. Don't chase fads. I don't know, because I really don't care anymore, but I'm sure there's a new fad diet for 2024. Obviously, I haven't followed one yet. I'm not going to start. Because as soon as you get into it, you realize, wait a minute, this isn't sustainable. This isn't going to really produce the change I need. This is going to change by next year. So is it really what I need this year? There's going to be spiritual fads that come and go. There's going to be wisdom. You think you can figure it out. And if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, then I'll be... No. The Father qualified you. The Son is keeping you. Paul says, do not lose your focus on Him. Whatever it takes to stay focused on Christ, do it. Whatever you've got to cut out that's distracting you, cut it out. Stay rooted in Him. Paul says in verse 9, For Him all the fullness of deity dwells. Everything you need is in Him. Why? Because He is God. Isn't it a shame that what we're really saying when we move away from the foundation of Christ and are drawn away by other things, what we're really saying is that God is insufficient. I would never say that to God, but you are. I don't believe you're sufficient, God. I don't believe that that everything I need is in Christ. I need a little of this. And I need to contribute a little of this. And if we do collectively this, then we're complete. That's blasphemy. Paul says, you are complete in Him. 
Verse 10, and in him you have been made complete. What are you looking for? Literally, what are you looking for? You are complete in the fullness of God himself. What else do you think you need? And and notice the language of Paul in verse 10. You have been made. You didn't make yourself complete. He made you complete. He placed you in Christ. Christ is the, the full expression of deity. What else are you looking for? He goes on to explain this in various ways. Listen, he has circumcised you. He removed the things that weren't supposed to be there. And we're not talking about the fleshly kind that the doctors do. We're talking about your heart. And He's made you alive together with Him. He's removed the strangling bonds of sin that were choking your heart. Restricting it. And you have been made alive in Him. He's done all of this. Why would you leave? Why would you seek some other thing? We come to verse 10 again, and he says, you are complete. It's a different word than what was used in verse 9 of chapter 1. But it has the same idea of being filled to the point of overflowing, the point of being totally full. Paul You remember I said his desire was that every person under his care, every person under his charge would be mature. Well, this is the answer to that maturity. This is the answer to Paul's desire. If they are in Christ, if they are standing on him and not moving away from him, they will know that they have been made complete in him and I will have accomplished my life's work. I labor to present every man mature, complete, fulfilled, initiated in Christ. And how do we do that? By staying steadfast on Him. He is the place where Paul prays that believers would be. And listen, that ought to be the prayer of every faithful pastor, every faithful spouse, Every faithful parent, every faithful child, every faithful boss. We just want you complete in Christ. We just want you spiritually mature. We just want you in Him. Whatever that takes and whatever that will look like in your life, that's what we want for you. And Paul says, if you don't move away, if you stay by Christ, if you're not drawn away by empty philosophy, and this is simply the word for man's wisdom, the wisdom that comes from men. Paul says, you'll, be, you'll fulfill that. Notice. What he says at the end of verse 10, though, he is the head over all rule and authority. I love this. There's nobody higher. There's nobody stronger. 
There's no one more authoritative than Christ. No one. No man. (laughs) No system. No denomination. No church. He is the head of all authority. Of all rule. Where do other places get their rule and authority from? Him. There is no legitimate authority over the believer than Christ. So don't put things over believers. Don't put things over yourself. Don't put yourself over yourself. Anything other than Christ that we put ourselves under is illicit. It is illegitimate. And it is fictitious. Because he is the highest. Why go to anything else? Why would you? Paul, I just want to make note of this as we quickly make our way down through the the, the rest of these verses, ending in verse 15. I want you to notice the passives that Paul gives here. You were circumcised, you were buried, you were raised, you were made alive, you were forgiven, you have had your sins canceled. And and, and not only so, all the way back into chapter 1, he has taken it away. That is in the perfect sense. It's absolutely fulfilled. It's done. Nothing can be added to it. And he nailed it to his cross, the place where God punished sin. sin, there, There is no punishment that God can render against your sin that he has not already rendered against Christ. There's nothing left that he could do. It's been nailed there. He has disarmed for you. He has, he has disgraced your enemies on your, on, on your behalf and for His glory. He has triumphed over them. And when we get to the end of verse 15, that is exactly what we see. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities. Two different words. Lower rulers, bigger rulers. He has disarmed them. He has humiliated him. That's what the word public display means. Literally in in the original language, it means to humiliate someone publicly. In former times when there was a military conflict and one general beat another general, the, the losing general would have to come out and surrender his sword. As a symbol of submission and humility that he had lost. Someone greater had triumphed. This is what Christ has done to your sin. This is what Christ has done to philosophy and empty deception. He has made a public humiliating display of them because he has triumphed over them. And so will we if we are not moved. You move away, they'll beat you every time. You stay in Christ. There's growth and maturity and victory over sin. Every single time. Outside of Christ, no hope. I don't care how great the motivational speakers you might listen to are. 
There's no victory outside of Christ. I don't care how disciplined you are. There's no victory outside of Christ. I don't care how good you think you are. There's no victory outside of Christ. And that's Paul's point to these Colossian believers. Stay in him. This is where your victory is. It is in Christ. And don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise. Young people, there is no identity worth having outside of Jesus Christ. None. A lot of you are growing up. That's dawned on me recently, very quickly. And I wish I had that magic brick to put on your heads. But you're growing up. And a lot of you will make big steps towards adulthood in the coming year. Some of you just started driving. That terrifies me. But you're growing up. And there is no identity worth having other than Jesus Christ. Don't let your job define you. Don't let your relationships define you. Don't let anything other than Jesus Christ himself define you. Adults, we need to lead in that. We don't need to be defined by anything because nothing else has qualified us. Nothing else will lead us to that rock, to that assurance, to that comfort. But Christ will never fail to do that. There's going to be a lot of changes for us adults in this next year. The world is a tumultuous place. Christ never changes. There's no hope in any man. There's no hope in an idealistic world. There's no hope in a certain political... There's hope in none of that. Our hope is Christ. Our hope is Jesus, isn't it? And to all those lesser things, he's humiliated them. He's put them under his feet. He's leading them captive down the, the, down the, the main street like a Roman general who conquered a nation. He's leading them in captivity. He owns them. I want to be with a winner. I want to be with a victor. Him is, in Him is life. In Him is stability. In Him is assurance. In Him is all that we need. So stay by Christ. Don't move away. In fact, with the Lord's help, let us all purpose to focus and to remain in him even more than we have in the past. That our hope would be made full in him. Let's go to him in prayer as we prepare to observe the Lord's table this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your work that is revealed in your word. Thank you that you have qualified us and that you've placed us in your son, not by works of our own righteousness, but by faith in Christ alone. Father, this new year has challenges that we can't see, but you do. 
And your solution to every challenge is your son, the Lord Jesus. Your goal for us is not ease, not pleasure, not prosperity in the world that thinks of the way the world thinks of it, but your desire for us is spiritual maturity, looking more like Christ. So all that we need for that is in Him. May you keep us in Him. So we sang it, keep us near the cross. Keep us near Christ. May we not be led astray or drawn away. And Lord, I pray by this time next year, if you have not returned or called us home, that we would look more like Christ in our spiritual growth and in our maturity. We pray that you would do these things for your own glory and your own sake. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen.